Thank you for tuning in to Uncommon Women, a podcast that provides a platform for women of all walks of life to share their upbringings, life lessons learned, experiences, and journeys to come. Uncommon Women speaks on topics that can relate to all women. We share, we listen, we laugh, we cry, and we empower each other to be the best uncommon woman that they can be. Ultimately, we are cultivating a global movement of women supporting women. Women supporting entrepreneurship, relationships, self-love, and so much more. We inspire each other to make an impact on this world for the better. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Uncommon Women. Now, finally, grab a seat, get comfortable, and hear from your wonderful hosts, Shanira and Jenny Lee. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Uncommon Women here. I'm Jenny Lee. And I'm Shanira. And this evening, we have an amazing speaker, Lisa Cohn, who will be speaking on her testimony about her childhood and how she's helping others. Uh, Hi, Lisa. Oh, there I am. Hello. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So Lisa, um, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna go into your bio and give everybody a little bit of insight of who you are. Lisa Cohn, a New Yorker, a place where she calls home. Lisa's roots come from New Jersey, where she spent 12 years of her childhood, where she grew up in a religious cult called the Moonies with her father. Like as we speak of sex, drugs, and squatter with her father, her crazy childhood consisted a men's shelter on a corner and Hell's and Hell's Angels World's head, headquarter on another corner. This gave her purpose and to owning a leadership consulting and executive coaching firm, Lisa spends time speaking, writing, teaching, and giving ideas from her life, from her from her lifelong learning childhood. Hey Lisa, so can you give us a little bit um uh, a little bit um, about your childhood and and what I have wrote, what have I read from your bio? Absolutely. So the way I describe my childhood is the best seats I ever had at Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden or at my mother's wedding because my mom got married with two thousand and seventy five other couples wow. on July first, nineteen eighty two, and back then Madison Square Garden, the big arena in New York City. The seats were red, like a rainbow, red on the floor, then orange, yellow, green, and blue in the rafters. And I had red seats when my mom got married. It was such a waste of red seats, but the best <laughs> my mom got married because I did. I grew up in the Unification Church, the Moonies. I was a follower of Reverend Sung Young Moon. And on the other hand, the best cocaine I ever had was from my father's friend, the judge. Yes, he was really a judge. And excuse me, yes, it was really good cocaine. And that was after I left the church, right? After yeah. I left the cult. So long story short, my parents met when they were in high school. They got pregnant with my brother, got married, had him when they were 19, me when they were 20. By the time I was three, they were split. We were living with my mom in a crazy, they were hippies. It was the 60s crazy lifestyle. And when I was the summer between second and third grade, my mom bought a van for my dad. We lived in New Jersey. We were going to drive cross country to California to live on a commune. But instead, my grandmother got diagnosed with cancer, so we drove across state in New Jersey with my grandparents in Melbourne. We stayed. My grandmother passed. 
My mom stayed to take care of my grandfather. And then in January of 1974, my mom's friend with whom she used to hitchhike across country every summer. Wow. Called my mom and said, you have to go hear Reverend Samyang Moon speak. He's amazing. And so my mom went to hear him speak and she came back enthralled. It's amazing. Excuse me, Jesus wasn't supposed to die. It's incredible what he's saying. And not a lot happened. And then by that summer, the members of the church, the Moonies, convinced my mom to go up to an indoctrination center in Barrytown, New York. And she went up for the weekend and came back and went up for a week and came back and up went up for another week and came back and basically spent the summer in Barrytown, New York at this huge seminary property. And one weekend she piled my brother and I in the van and drove us up and we pulled to this big up to the big building and we go inside to the big gymnasium and all the women, all the sisters are sitting on the left on the right side of the room and all the men, the brothers are sitting on the right side the left side of the room, getting them backwards. And within moments, Moon walks in with his interpreter and he starts speaking and that was it. We were in, I was a Mooney, he was my Messiah. Mm. So that that's the very beginning. And then to flash forward just a little bit further and then we can go anywhere you want. This went on for a while and my mom just started getting more and more involved in the church. We were living outside of New York City and she would go in in the day and go in and stay overnight. And finally she sat us down, January, 1975, she sat us down, my brother and I and said, I feel like I should be there more. What should I do? And we said, you should leave. Mm -hmm. You should leave us. And so she did. She moved into New York City full time to live in the church, ironically, to help run the group for people who had kids and couldn't move into the church. And more ironically, she spent almost all of her time in the church caring for other people's children. To this day, I meet people who tell me, well, your mother took such good care of me. And my brother and I lived with my grandfather. And um when my, the saga almost is done. When my grandmother died, he got depressed. He was a judge and a lawyer and he got depressed and he stopped practicing his cases. And then when my mom moved out, he got more depressed and he got disbarred and he got even more depressed. And so now he's disbarred and he's depressed and the police are apparently doing a circle of the block and a suicide watch for him. And comes a point where he's going to go to court and maybe to jail. And instead his doctor puts him into the psychiatric ward of the local hospital. and. My brother Robbie and I get pulled out of school and shuffled around for a while. And someone goes to get my mom who says it's not my problem and doesn't come back. Oh, and eventually wow. a couple of weeks, someone tells my dad, Danny, what's happening. And that's when he picks us up and we move into New York City to live the life of sex, drugs, and squalor. So I'm, I'm a religious believer, oh. puritanical cult, and I'm living with a man whose life is satanic in my definition. And then the world continues. So that's the quick synopsis of the first. 11 years of my life. Oh, wow. So how, what were you and your brother going through with the transition? First off, how did you guys, how, what emotions did you have? Um, what were emotions were you going through that, you know, your mom was taking care of other people and not really taking care of you and your brother? So this is one of those wonderful things about religious extremism, right? So when you believe that fervently, right? And, and as I like to say, there's nothing as intoxicating as knowing you have the truth. It's mm -hmm. a very, very powerful drug. So we firmly believe that Moon was the Messiah. We knew Moon was the Messiah and that the kingdom of heaven could come now and that God had suffered for 6,000 years. And the more we could pay indemnity, we could suffer for God. We could pave the way for the kingdom of heaven to finally be on earth. So when my mom said, what should we do? We say, leave. And for okay. a whole time in the church, people say, you're so lucky to live without your mother. Thank you. You're so wonderful to live without your mother. 
So if I ever missed her, I knew I was satanic and evil. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 like I must have, but my mom never cried. They told her not to cry. We never cried. It was a good thing. So you miss your mom, but you're sacrificing for God and you're saving the world. So it's a, it's a very tight bind for, especially for someone to grow up in because you learn not to have wants, not to have needs, right. to express them. You learn a lot of things that are pretty whacked out. So did I miss her? Probably. Would have I told you I missed her? Absolutely not. I was not mm-hmm. conscious of it. And if I ever felt it, I knew that that was Satan inside me. making wow. me mom. So it was selfish to miss my mom. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great way to tie up. Yeah. It, it seems like a, a manipulation, like just like, just like just manipulated your child and they just like manipulated you into believing this, yeah. believing this way. That's, yeah. That's, that, that could be traumatic. It, mm-hmm. That's a good word. You know, so that's a good word for it. So people have said to me, why did you believe? And when you're a kid, when your parent says this is true, you generally believe, believe right? Believe. And my mom yeah. was happier. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, yeah. so it's why do you believe anything you're brought up with? Because it's what you're with, right? And, but the, the, the extreme manipulation is we were literally told, we were taught that if we ever questioned any doctrine or any of our parents or ever questioned Moon, that was Satan and evil spirits inside us trying to win us back from God. So as soon as you begin to think on your own, you are terrified and you do a 21 minute prayer and a cold shower and a fast and you repent and because you know that Satan is invading your brain taking you away from God. So it's a brilliant way to keep you from ever thinking anything. Wow. And, and it's a it's a shame how you're a child and certain people can be that way and just like manipulate a child, not knowing what it can do in the yeah. future as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I did, I, I left the church and I can tell that story, but I left I'm going to laugh almost about 40 years ago, right? A long time ago. And when I left, there was no community of other people outside and I did it all on my own. And only since my book came out, my memoir was published in 2018, did I find the cult survivor community and specifically those of us born and or raised are called second generation or multi-generation. Those of us who are brought into it versus who choose ourselves. And I went to this conference for survivors and I went to this once, you know, session for second gens, second generations. And the person who's speaking, they put this list on the board of like what it does to your brain. And I read that and I think, oh my God, that's my brain. That's every fight I've ever had in my marriage. Right? Like that's exactly the way I think. And I can go and I can meet someone from another country and another cult and something can happen. And he and I will look at each other and we have this exact same response the same thought process. Like I know him so intimately and clearly more than I know some of my closest friends because we're, it carves you in very specific ways when as your brain is developing, you're not allowed to develop. Mm, wow. Yeah, yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, how is your relationship with your parents now? That's always a good question. So <laughs> my dad, so we'll start with my dad. My dad, whom I oh, yeah. Let's talck about your dad. Who is <laughs> <laughs> Danny. So he's a hippie. In my whole life, he said, I'm a person, not a label. If you call me father, I'll call you daughter. If you call my daddy, I'll call you daughty. Call me by my name. 
So to this day, like, and I'll talk about him, like he's in a nursing home and like, I'll talk about him to the nursing home staff and they'll say, does your dad know you call him Danny? I'm like, I can yell that if I do anything else. But so sadly, my dad is a very old 78 year old man in a nursing home because he had a stroke from still doing too much cocaine uh, 15 years ago. And he, he lost the right eye, his right eye and the paralyzed the left side of his body and ended up in an assisted living facility um, and then lit so many cigarettes in his room and started so many fires and burned so many holes in the rug that they put him in a nursing home. And once they put him in a nursing home, they kept him in a wheelchair. So he's lost all mobility. And I am his primary caregiver. So where it seriously is now, he's, his body is still spasming from the stroke. So he's in, he's wow. in constant pain and we're working on that. So I go and visit him and he's screaming and crying in constant pain. And then he looks at me and he says, I feel so guilty. He mostly feels guilty for leaving me with my mom. He thinks that's the worst thing he ever did. But I feel so guilty. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. And so I'm literally like stroking my father's head going, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad. And the last time I was there, I was with my, old, my younger child. And my dad, Danny, is talking and he talks about a, a picture my brother Robbie drew when Robbie was young. And then Danny says, Robbie drew that when he got high the first time. And I turn to my child, who's 19, and I say, Papa just said that uncle drew that when Papa got uncle high when, Pop, when uncle was 10. <laughs> and my child's like, wow, she's 19. And I'm like stroking his head. It wasn't wow. look outside. And my child goes, it wasn't all bad. I mean, I got my kid high when he was 10, but it wasn't all bad. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's 15 minutes from my house now. I'm, he was further away. I moved him down, unfortunately, right before COVID and we couldn't see him for the whole of COVID. When I finally saw him, he was a shell inside, but he's slowly coming back. But he's, he's a very old, paralyzed 78 year old man in a nursing home who feels guilty for what he did as a, and I spent all my time going, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't, it wasn't all bad. It really mm -hmm. wasn't all bad. So, that's Danny. And that's my relationship with him. Wow. Oh, so wow. your relationship with Danny, does your does your children question or ask you things about, you know, did you did you did you go through the same thing with your kids? Like did you introduce them to drugs or did you explain to them? <laughs> I'm just asking. <laughs> did you explain to them like, you know, this is the lifestyle that they lived and, you know, they did parents don't come with manuals. So he didn't know. But now as he's older, he understands what he was doing was wrong. Well, one, I actually don't think he understands that what he was doing was wrong. Okay. Whole different topic. And I do firmly believe that he thought he was doing it all in our best interest, right? It's okay. this and I'm raising my children with open values and I'm exposing them to things and I'm making them aware of the world. And okay. I think all the things he did was wrong was leaving me with my mom. Truly. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't think he thinks it was wrong that he got my brother high when he was 10. Uh, wow. So I have two kids. I have two kids and neither one of them knew any of my story ever. Uh, we just it wasn't it wasn't what you shared when they're right. little. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Right. And so my older child, when I was first writing my book, my older child would say, my mom had a bad childhood. She's writing a memoir. I'm not allowed to know about it. Oh, okay. And then when she was about six, when they were about 16, we were traveling somewhere and I turned to them and I said, here's the deal. I will tell you, you never need to know. It's up to you. And they said, tell me. And I said, now? And so I drive and I get the whole story, like the 20,000 foot version of everything that happened, because there's a lot. Right. Uh, I finished and my child goes, Papa, kind of saw that coming. 
Because my dad, you knew, like he was right. And my mother, who ever thinks that their grandmother was in a cult when they when right. parents were young. So that's so so they 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 both know both my kids know the stories and they my parents were much better grandparents than parents, right? They were very young and they were very misled or whatever, unable to care for us in really parental ways. But they're really good with my kids in, in different awesome. ways. So they so my my children are somewhat able to know the story. My younger child likes to tease me about it all the time. Know the story, but like love my parents in a separate way. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how is your relationship with your mother now? My relationship with my mother. So the thing about my parents is my dad always says the wrong thing. Really not very nice and does a lot of crazy stuff, but shows up. Okay. Never says I love you, but always shows like shows up, took us in, mm -hmm. took care of us. My mom always says I love you more than anything in the world, but left. Mm. Left in many ways over and over and over again and always chose the church above us and always chose the other kids above us. Literally years ago, she would call and she'd say, because she also left the church in 96 when my older child was born. But my mom would call and say, I was just talking to these kids that I took care of. And they're so traumatized because their parents left them when they were little. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. You did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. She just... I don't think she acknowledged that she did the same thing. Right. She did not acknowledge. She did I'm not acknowledge. And she's recently finally acknowledged. Like she said, I never really, I thought, I, I only thought about my intentions, which were to serve God and do all these beautiful things. Mm -hmm. I never thought about the impact it had on you. And she finally is now realizing that. Although still, like a year ago, she said to me, well, I never left you because you were in my heart. And I'm like, let's be clear. You <laughs> like you left and I never lived with you again. So she's read the book and she's a huge supporter Aww. and we have worked on it very hard. And I have, like my dad, I always need a buffer cause he can really be, he has a lot of rage and he can be really harsh. My mom, I always let in a lot. And then I finally got to the point where I realized you're gonna keep saying and doing these things that I would never say or do to my children. So then I put a buffer mm. you know, out of space and, and now it's less and like she's, but it, it's always a constant working of, yeah, cause she used to say, when will you get over this? I'm like, you wow. know, when you stop, keep doing it. So it's, so I'm also close with her, but it's definitely a process of working at it. And she always thanks me for working at it. And at this point, I'm actually trying to help her see that the church is actually not a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. In my mind, I do call it a cult. I do think it was extreme. I do think it hurt us and it hurt a lot of people. And my mother, apparently on Mother's Day said, I have no regrets for how I lived my life. And all I can think of was if I walked out on my children, I would regret it every day for the rest of my life. So, yeah. So that, but that's where she is. But I'm like trying to help her kind of see. She once we were talking recently, and I, I'm, I've been focusing a lot about the fact that what was done to my brain mm -hmm. was done intentionally to keep, like, to confine me. And right. she, she said, "Do you think Moon really did this intentionally?" I'm like, "Well, do I think he intentionally did it to me? No. Do I think he intentionally created this system?" which gave him a lot of power and a lot of money and a lot of illegitimate children that none of us knew about. And like, like wow. yeah, I really do. I really think that he went out. I think by the end, just my thoughts, right? I think by the end he believed that he was the Messiah because I think if enough people treat you 
as the Messiah and call you the Messiah, you probably start to believe it. Yeah, and right. Right. But do I think that the church was founded on all the beautiful love things that it says? Heck no, not. So, um, there you go. Long answers to every question. No, you're good. You're good. This is this is intriguing to me. So um, I have a question about your parents as well. A while growing up, did you have at any moment have any resentment towards them? My dad probably. Okay. Because he was Satan. Mm -hmm. He had a fear of him. I was terrified of him. And I had fear of the lifestyle he was living. Again, my mother, I knew that we were doing you it. Couldn't think anything. Right. There's no, there's no opportunity. It was like when, when, like when I got out, and then when I, and when I left, I still firmly believed that Moon was the Messiah. I just didn't mm -hmm. want to do it. So my leaving was traumatic for me in that way. Right. And when I finally came to look back and be like, oh, that was not good. <laughs> And like the anger, <laughs> my mother finally exploded because like mm -hmm. how the could you possibly do what you did? Think it was okay, right? And think it was okay. And how? Because she believed in extremists, whether I, you brainwashing or mind yeah. or whatever. Brainwashing, yes. Right? She yeah. In this system that didn't allow her to see anything else or do anything else. So that's the only way I can explain what she did. But what she did over and over to us and that happened to us. Yeah. So, yes. Not then, though. I had no anger when I was a child. Anger is sinful. Right. Wow. Wow. It's emotion. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I am going to yeah. be 58. I'm going to be 58. Like, what? Like, we don't know. Yeah. Wow. You need it. You need anger. Right. Yeah. You, know, you, you need, need to express yeah. it, right? <laughs> Probably not hurt people or yourself, right. but like, yeah, but it's, that's what it's, happens when you don't express it. That's, that's yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I'm still working on that one. I'm so yeah. glad. I'm thinking you're maybe a couple years younger than me, maybe a couple, right? And I'm yeah. so you got <laughs> I'm still like, oh, terrified when I feel it. Don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Wow. So speak on how, how, what is, what is your input in regards to the church life now? Besides, you know, the cult that you were in, do you have a current relationship with church or God? Uh, no, it depends on what you mean by God. Okay. So uh, I'm married to someone who's Jewish and my kids are raised Jewish, but okay. organized religion overall, once you put people in it, it gets a little wonky to me. Uh, it mm -hmm. can So I believe you know, at this point, excuse all my, what I'm going to say, but my God is a little G because when it's like the God that I grew up with, you know, when I left and I believed, right. If I thought about God, I had to die for what mm. I, mm. I broke God's heart. That's a lot of weight to put on a child, right? I broke, yeah, God. that's how powerful I am. I could break God's heart. Mm -hmm. um, so my God, it's like a little G my God, sometimes I'm like, God acts with they, them pronouns. Like I work very hard to pull away from the organized religion sense of God. And I just believe in love. I believe in love, mm -hmm. I believe in goodness, mm -hmm. I believe in the divine beauty of love and the universe and that, and I still call it God because that's what it is to me, but that essence right. of love and beauty and we're all one, yeah. in which is when right. you really get to it, when it's working well, <laughs> what I really do. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, um, I'm very comfortable in any house of worship and very uncomfortable in any house of worship at the same time. Oh, okay. Um, 
Can you speak on how your relationship with your kids are? Yeah, I'm the luckiest <laughs> parent in the world. I do know that I healed by raising my children. Mm. I, yeah. When you said that, she's like, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just <laughs> yeah, I, loving them is the biggest gift ever. And I do know that I, I mean, granted, we all make mistakes and I didn't do everything perfectly. And that's absolutely true. And I probably over love them and smother them because, you know, I would felt so abandoned, but by my parents, but you know, they're great and I love them. And I do know that I'm a good parent. I'm a good mom. Like I really did, you know, I, I did a decent job. Uh, one is 25 and lives all the way out in Minneapolis and one is 19 and is in just finished freshman year of college and is home for the summer. And oh. The, the younger one would just say I'm really annoying with how much I love. <laughs> 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 You're so annoying. Stop hating <laughs> me. But uh, in fact, he, upstairs he's going to hear me say this. He hates when I talk about him. So I came down once and I was on a podcast and I came downstairs. I'm like, bud, here's a deal. I talked about you. He said, what did you say? I said, well, I said that I healed by raising you and your sibling. And I said that the only thing that mattered to me when I had children is that they really knew that they were loved. Aww. And he looks at me and he goes, uh, I don't know, you love me. I mean, <laughs> and I know Mimi loves me and I know Papa loves me. Those are my parents, but I don't know, you love me. And I'm like, who feels so loved that you can say that? So, so I, I just, I'm very lucky. They're like two of my favorite people in the whole world. And awesome. I think they both kind of still like me, so I'm good. <laughs> that is That is amazing how when you have a child, you know, us being parents, um, yeah how a child can just change your whole life completely and can actually bring you healing like it did for you. Cause I know, it, I know my son did the same thing for me right. when I had him yeah. and yeah. it changes you. It changes, they become your everything. And yeah. that is amazing. Yeah, and you get to pour into them right. yes. that you wish you had gotten, right. and you, yeah. and you like get it back by giving it to them, right? And they're yeah. so unconditional. And 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 you know, how old is your son? My and, son is twenty. Ah, uh, yeah. So he maybe not snuggling with you anymore either. Maybe he is. I hope so. Oh no, I, I have to call him. I have to call him to make sure. Like, uh, did you forget I got a mom? Mom, yeah. and I have I have a seventeen year old daughter. Yeah. That one, she calls me every day. Yeah. If she doesn't call me, I'm already like, "Why didn't you call me?" She's like, "Mom, I just spoke to you yesterday." <laughs> yeah, Good. yeah. It's it is the biggest gift, the biggest gift in the world, right? Yeah, I do believe. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And the good thing about parenthood is, you know, you're molding the next generation to yes to empower or to make a change. And that's what I yes. love about parenthood. Cause it's like, even though I didn't have a great childhood, I know what not to do with my child. Don't do what your mom did. Don't yeah, do exactly. <laughs> Trial and error at times, you know, but. Do not it's, do that. <laughs> it's, it's like, I, I love coming up with book titles. And one of my book titles was like, when do the opposite of your parents, it only goes so far, right? Like they did that, so do that. Like you gotta get it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And the other thing that I always say when my brother and I always say, when the bar is so low, like it's so easy to be stellar. <laughs> mm, that's so true. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you find that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So can you speak on what others can learn from, you know, childhood drama or toxic parents or, you know, how they can cope if it's not necessarily having children? Right. So I know, I believe strongly a, a bunch of things, right? And whereas my story is unique, right? Only my brother has this cult on one side and hippie lifestyle on the other. It's a very interesting combination. The themes, right? are universal, self-loathing, self-criticism, how hard we are on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I, the beauty of having put the memoir out there and being so you know, out and naked in the world in so many ways is people reach out to me. And um, like years ago, some young adult reached out to me and the story of what they were experiencing was hugely awful, like just the mm -hmm. list of what they were experiencing at the time. And, what I said is, you know, this doesn't make it all better. Nothing does, right? But what I know is that those of us who've experienced trauma in some way, when we can move through it, right, with all the grace and all the support and all the love and all the tools, have a greater capacity for joy than people who haven't experienced, right? Because when you've hit the bottoms, like, Sunshine on a tree is amazing. Right. Right. Ever, but like it does give you, I, I do, I think, right, see with myself and others this greater capacity for joy and amazement in simple things and in life. Yes. And, in life. Yes. and and I, I say with the book, like there's three messages related to that that I I've always been saying, but I'm really trying to teach now with the book. And the first is, well, there's four. Extremist situations exist. They are they are prevalent. They are dangerous. And they are extremely intoxicating, right? They're, they're definitely out there, especially more so now. You can see that in our world. Right. Two, for anyone who feels helpless, hopeless, or damaged beyond repair, there is hope. And you are not damaged. I really think that... I've been at this for decades, and even when the book came out in 2018, I still somehow thought I was damaged from what happened. Mm. I have damage, I have scars, like I have a scar that aches when it's going to rain kind of thing. Like I have trigger points, but I'm not damaged. And there's a very difference, there's a huge difference between having damage and being damaged. I like that. And then yeah. three, thank you. I, you know, from the work I do as an executive coach from my own life and from my experience in the, in the recovery community, I firmly believe that as a species, we're way too hard on ourselves. Most of us, right? We're self critical. Yeah. <laughs> so mean. Right. I was talking to a friend, I'm an idiot. You're not an idiot. <laughs> Literally, you just went through cancer treatment. Maybe you're tired, right? We're so mean to ourselves, and we need a huge dose of self love and self compassion. Right. And that's it. Like with my literally C-suite fortune 100 executives, all I say is love yourself more and it'll all get better. Right. Because I, I do know that I do believe that um, healing is possible. Healing is amazing. And it really, for me, always starts with loving myself first and most, even though I love my kids, yeah. but loving myself, first, compassion yeah. for myself. Like I. I, I'm friends with a bunch of second gens now. And one was, we were texting about something and she said, as a former cult kid, and I was like, oh my God, every situation I go into, I actually go into first as a former cult kid. I don't have any other choice. It's the way my brain is wired. Mm -hmm. so how can I have yeah. Of course right. I do it that way. So like, of course I see it that way. Oh, well, I hate it. Okay. Put your hand on your heart and try mm -hmm. something new. And then the fourth that I always learned is like, you are amazing. 
each yes. one, right? You and you and anybody who's listening, we really each one is, right? And just stand in your power and your love. Have some humility, absolutely, but have a lot more ability to say, I am here as a gift from God, whatever that means to you. Mm -hmm. I can show up in the world. So that's that's me preaching. I'm, I'm, I'm actually on an exercise ball, so I'm probably bouncing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that when you said stand on your power. Yes. That is, that's, that's really deep. I love that. Yeah. I like that. We sell ourselves short and hold ourselves yeah. down. And I firmly believe slash no, right? Especially if you suffer trauma, right? When you're a child, you, in order to, in order to get through, you have to think the world is safe. My parents are safe. My parents are good. Therefore, there's something wrong with me. And you come up with all these, I call them lies, like crazy lies in your head that mm -hmm. you need, especially for me growing up in a cult and living with Satan. I had to come up with unbelievable perfectionism beyond belief and a drive. If you put something in front of me, I will do it. I will do it extremely well, even if I die in the process, right? Like truly, that saved my life, right? Mm -hmm. So those things that literally save our lives. And then we get to be adults and hopefully we get to the point where we're like, oh, I don't need to do that anymore. Right feel good, it's not true, it's a lie, right? Mm -hmm. Start to shift and believe something else and see again, the beauty in you. I'm not damaged, I'm not broken, I'm not sinful, I'm not satanic, I didn't fail. I'm a person. I have a hard time with that sometimes, just being a person, right? We all do, it's kind of yeah. hard for us to find the yeah. lie. But once you find yeah. the lie, it gives you more relief in regards to, yeah. I don't have to try so hard, I don't have to do this so hard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, my perfectionism is so, I always say this, like perfectionism, the kind, way I have it is so tricky because it's about being my best self. Mm -hmm. So you think like I'm just being my best self. I'm just like trying, I'm just being good in this relationship. I'm giving my mom one more chance. And then my friends will be like, yeah, you're doing, you're doing that perfect thing. <laughs> my brother likes to say, my brother once said to me, you even try to do not perfect perfectly. <laughs> but he's right. I'm like, myself. We are. That's so good. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I think it's just something that comes in nature for us to yeah. be hard on ourselves like that. Right. Yes. I mean, most, I don't think we want to be that way, but I think it's just, and I think it can also be like when people speak to you a certain way and it just gets it so embedded after a while. Mm -hmm. So it becomes like a natural thing. You know, because we're human, so it's just it gets stuck with it. Just gets stuck right. with you. And I mean, Wrecking I don't think we're gonna be like, that. yeah, you know what a wreck think, is. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we intentionally want to, you know, want to say, oh well, I'm not enough, or yeah, you know. But it's just like something that, and like I said, it's just it's just stuck. Because I know sometimes I can still be hard on myself. Yeah, but it's just something that I guess you have to get to a point to work on that. And that's where the change comes from. You know, I mean, it hasn't been an easy road for me to be like, don't be hard on yourself. You know, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay that you did that. Just got to get back on that horse, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and for many, they, they get so stuck in that. They're, they're so used to living through that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to go back, I think it was before we were on air, where you were talking about how you said to someone, I have a podcast, and they were like, really? <laughs> that systemic stuff, right? Yeah. Eats away at you, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You all know that more than I do, right? In, in that yeah. area, right? And so, 
how as especially as a child, how do you not take that in? And then as adult, how do you how do you stand enough, right? Again, in our society that's normative in a lot of ways that we may not fit, right? How do you stand in your truth and your beauty and your power, even when people are saying you really? When they right. check, when they yeah. Check, yeah. 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 That's true. Can you speak on how you got into the business of helping others? Yeah, I, I like to joke that I'm still trying to save the world, right? And just like, <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. I um, what happened? So I, I went to, I left the church, right? Do you want to hear the story of how I left, and then I'll get into how I yeah, yeah. Then and I'll go into how I help it because it kind of leans into it. So I, my, I'm a believer. Every weekend, every holiday, every vacation, every moment, I'm there. I'm best friends with Moon's children. It is my life. He is my Messiah. It's everything. And I'm living with my dad at the same time. And then the summer between junior and senior year of high school, Danny sends me to music camp. He sends me away to music camp. I played okay. clarinet in high school. And to this day, I'm convinced to keep me away from the church because, again, I was always there. And he never spent any money on us whatsoever. His money was for drugs. And Baroque recorders, but that's a whole different story. And so he sends me to music camp and I become friends with people who for the first time that I am aware of are gay and or bisexual, okay. which is a huge sin in my puritanical cult. So I write my mom and I say, what should I do? And she says, they're evil, they're sinful. You can convert them or stay away from them. And for the first time, my brain goes, like we're supposedly about love. These are lovely people. Like how right. they're not like it, it, I cannot right. But then remember, if I'm questioning what my mother's telling me, I'm invaded by Satan. Hmm. So I'm questioning and terrified that I'm questioning. And then I come home from music camp, and, and I happen to be best friends with Moon's children. They are the Messiah's children are the true children, right? Because they're as holy and special as you can be. Hmm. And then these mass weddings are called blessings. And when the members are blessed by moon in marriage, they, they are original sin is removed from them. So when they have children, their blessed children are free of original sin. They're born without original sin. So there's the true children, the blessed children, and sinful people like me. <laughs> so I'm friends with the true children and the blessed children. I come home from music camp, and one of my friends, my six-year-old friend, uh, blessed child, was seduced by our Sunday school teacher. This is when it becomes a soap opera. Was seduced by our Sunday school teacher and having an affair with him. Wow. And was so terrified that she spread rumors about me. She basically said, I wanted to sleep with all the men. And Moon heard these rumors, believed the rumors, and made a decree that only blessed children could play with the true children in order to keep me away from his daughter. I like wow. to say my, the Messiah, my Messiah banished me from his family. Wow. So I go to my senior year of high school, knowing I'm invaded by Satan because I'm questioning, and knowing the Messiah knows I'm invaded by Satan because he's banished me. It's not feeling very good. Right. So I start to pull away a little bit and I think, okay, you joined the church as a 10 year old. You weren't an adult. You can't really join. So now that you're 17, you're going to pull back, live life on the outside and make an adult decision to come back in. And that's my full intention. And I start hanging out more with my dad, with Danny and hanging out at school and making closer friends and finding more love and un unconditional love and joy on the outside than on the inside. And then I start experimenting, including with alcohol, and I get really drunk at a party, and a boy kisses me, and I kiss him back, and then I have a boyfriend, which is the hugest sin because in my church, the fall of man is premarital sex between Eve and Lucifer and then Eve and Adam. So then, like, all everything breaks, everything blows up, and people are screaming at me and terrified and yelling at me, and I go off to Cornell. I go off to college. 
Mm -hmm. After Cornell in upstate New York and my boyfriend Adam stays home in NYU in New York City and I determine I will break up with him and I don't because I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and um, so I start to pull away, but I am so, I so know that I am sinful, mm -hmm. failing and breaking God's heart that my freshman year, I do almost jump off the bridge at Cornell. It's quite glamorized and I did almost do it, but I clearly didn't. My sophomore year, I become hugely anorexic and I'm about 40 pounds less than I am now. My junior year, I do a hell of a lot of cocaine, including with the judge, my dad's friend. And then my senior year, I just start getting in really, really, really destructive relationships. And, but all the time, never aware, like I'm at Cornell, I'm a psychology major and I'm never, somebody pointed out to me how I run. <laughs> how broken I am inside. I literally, I finish school, I go off and I start working in advertising and I start this life and I eventually get engaged to someone who drinks a hell of a lot and is very mean to me when he drinks, he works with my dad. And grace of God, before I get married, somebody points me in the direction of Al-Anon, the 12-step program for those of us clinging to the alcoholic. And I walk to my first meeting saying, tell me if he's an alcoholic. There's no way I'd ever be with an alcoholic. I'm way too smart to be with an alcoholic. Mm -hmm only to realize that there was alcoholism all over my dad's family. My dad drank and drugged every wow. day of my life. Wow. And I grew up in a cult, right? Right. <laughs> Long story short. So this is like, and then I'm finally like, wow, my childhood is messed up, right? <laughs> As my brother likes to say, when you sit in these rooms where everyone's telling their stories, and you tell your story and their jaws all drop, you're like, oh. Awareness, right? Maybe it's not here. So, right, so I'm, I'm coming to this realization. I'm starting my recovery in the late 80s, you know, really beginning to finally look at stuff. And at the same time, I'm working in advertising and I'm doing pretty darn good at my job, but I'm bored beyond belief and somehow convince my boss to convince the head of the agency to send me for an executive MBA program at Columbia. Cool. And I go to Columbia and I get my yeah. MBA. Yeah, I'm awesome. very, cool, very lucky. And uh, I discover these disciplines of the people side, which I love. And so I finished my degree, quit my job. <laughs> I'm actually getting to how I got here. Go to work in a not-for-profit, a huge not-for-profit agency. And I'm miserable because I if you met me, you would see that I used to be under five foot and now I'm probably under 4'10". But I'm, <laughs> I lift heavy weights and it's not a good idea. Oh, okay. Down. But um, I go to work for a boss who, like, I think hired me to push me around and I'm miserable. And so, you know, three months pregnant with my first child, I get a couple of professors who say, you can do it. And I hang out a shingle to be a leadership consultant, not knowing what that means. Mm. And that's 1995. And I start to apprentice and to learn and to internship. And then in the late 90s, I'm working in front of a client and the CEO of the, of the organization comes up to me and she says, I want to be you. Do you coach? And I said, yeah. And I called my coach and I got wow. some Wow. And I started doing that. And so I've been doing this work for a damn long time. And then as you get older, and you get more willing to just be out there and be real. And then when my book came out, and if you Google me, I'm like, oh. I'm still on the first page, right? If you Google me, I used to be the first five pages. Maybe I'm now the first two or three because there was mm -hmm. so much. That's so awesome. I go to a client and they know I grew up in a cult. Mm -hmm. right? I used to kind of not broadcast it because it can suck energy out of any right. conversation. 
conversation, but now it's out there. And so I'm out there in my work and I am talking about healing and recovery and love and self-love and self-care and, you know, alcoholism and cults. And like, I use everything I learned to be okay every day with my clients. Mm. That's very long story of how I do it and how I probably go at it at it. Like I can teach leadership skills and management skills and how to delegate and all that stuff. But really I work on the heart and the brain, right? Because if we can't come with love for ourselves and with others, and we can't get around those crazy lies in our head that do things that really get in our own way, we can't be successful at work or at life. So I agree. That's the, tell me what else you want to know about it. That's the long-winded story of how I got. It's so powerful though, because it's like at first you you didn't want to talk about your past, but your past has actually molded it, molded you yeah. to who you are now and how you actually help others. That's yeah. so powerful. So when I first like first got into recovery, and I remember I was I was in a group therapy, I was a group therapist, and a group therapist said to me one day, she said, "You know, you have to integrate the church in order to heal." And I will not curse online, but I said, "No blank and what?" Like <laughs> only way I'm alive was by never looking back. Like I literally yes. was never, because if I look back, I I almost jumped off a bridge. I tried to starve myself to death. I did a lot of like I skirted a cocaine addiction. Like I, I got really mean people to go out with me, right? Or people who could be really mean to me, right? And so, yeah, I like. But for me, I had to look at all of that and air it. Like you have to, excuse me, open the wound and let the pus out for it to heal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when I first left, there was no way I was looking at any of it. And now I use it every day in the work right? every day. I talk yeah, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. It's like your childhood brought you into your purpose. I like that. I, like I do that. believe that, and I do believe that you know, I have touched people with the book and telling my story, and any single person I touch makes it all worthwhile. Yes, that's yeah. it makes it all worthwhile. Like literally, so I'm a coach, and we were with my business partner. We we gathered a cadre of coaches to work with a Black Leadership Program, which I'm very lucky to do, and. We were getting trained in a psycho in a assessment, a psychometric assessment. And so it's all coaches on this getting trained virtually on this assessment. Mm-hmm. And these introductions. And sometimes with coaches, they go a little deep because we're like coaches and we talk about deep things. Right. But before me told something bit about their story. And I, I went second to introduce myself and I thought, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Because it can really divert a conversation. But this person did, so I did. And someone went to go third and someone in the client interrupted the person who was going third and said, I have to go next. I'm going to cry. I grew up in a cult. I've never said that out loud in a business setting before. Wow. And I texted Robin. I'm like, Give me chills. do this. <laughs> yeah. Cause you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know what we like. We all carry this shame. Right. stories. Yeah. It's not our shame, but we carry it and we don't talk about it. And I'm like, I'll tell you anything. As long as it's not about my current family and my kids, like, I'll tell you anything because if like my body does all these weird reactions, trauma reactions, trigger reactions, I'll talk about it because somebody else has it and doesn't understand why their body convulses. Yeah. So I'll talk about it on the hopes that like, you'd be like, Oh yeah, sorry. Me too. Right. Yeah. Anyway. That's awesome. Cause you gave her courage to actually speak on it the first time. Yeah. She's probably yeah. been holding this in for so long, but she's like, I can't talk about that, but you yeah. are speaking on it, even though you doubted yourself, 
but yeah. actually speaking on it, it gave you clarity that someone else needed that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. So where can we find your book? Where can we find your information? So I'm going to show it to you. This is my book. This is what I think. Wait, that way. There we go. I can do this whole thing. That's me. LisaConeWrites.com. Absolutely. So the book is available everywhere. You can order it on Amazon. It is free on Kindle. That being said, go to your local indie bookstore and order it or go to a black owned bookstore and order it. If you have to buy from Amazon, that's okay too, but <laughs> don't. Um, so it's, but Lisa Cohn writes and all my, all of my writing social media is at Lisa Cohn writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. The hard part is spelling Cohn, K-O-H-N. Um, but I love to connect with people. I love to tell my story. I will do any reading. I will visit almost any book club. I just want to spread a message of hope. So I keep going out there. And then the work is Chatsworth Consulting Group. It's chatsworthconsulting.com. But if you find me, you, you'll find all of it like there. I'm just, right. All of it is together. So that's me. That's awesome. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to discuss or share that we didn't talk about or anything that you want to let others know um, before we actually close out? I'm going to say y'all are beautiful. Anyone listening, I'm just going to go back to the self-love and self-compassion, like cut yourself a break, give yourself a hug. I, I have my hand on my heart. That's tower block. It's very soothing. Like find ways to care and comfort and take care of yourself. I firmly believe if we all did more of that, the world might be a little bit safer and easier now. Change that needs to happen. And we also just need to love ourselves yeah. first and then love other people as well. So yeah, that's it. That's where yeah. Super fact. So there is one question that we do ask all of our guest speakers. Yes. That is what makes you uncommon? <laughs> really nothing. It's really running the mill over here. Uh, what makes me uncommon? Clearly my childhood. Probably my size. Um, you'll, you'll have to meet me to understand that. And uh, I I was described once recently as leading with love, right? And that's, I don't, I, I'm, there's not, a, there's some, there's not a lot of coaches or, you know, consultants who are running around C-suite saying love, 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 like love is a four letter word in the world. But um, that's, you know, I, and I'm, I'm under, maybe under 410 now. I did bench press 120 pounds. I maxed it oh, on 100 pounds. Yeah. That's good. Nice. I'm not going anywhere, but I did 120, so. I'm, I'm still on the bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you, Lisa, for coming on our platform today and sharing your powerful testimony of your childhood and also having the courage to just lead others and help them in regards to life coaching. Um, your story was definitely inspiring. Uh, viewers, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to go on our website at uncommonwomen.net where we have our apparel. And if you wanna be a guest speaker, you're more than welcome to go on there as well. If you have any topics or any questions or concerns that you wanna reach out to us, please reach us at uncommonwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to also like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We definitely need to get more people on our YouTube. Uh, it's under Uncommon Women Podcast. 
And next week, we'll be recording on Thursday at 7 p.m. Uh, we're going to be unwrapping the inside of you. So we're going to dive deep into who you are and just showing people how to love on themselves a little bit more. Thank you again for tuning in to Uncommon Women and be sure to stay uncommon. Bye. Bye.